Legal discussion on tip today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors is uh, with me in studio. You're going to do a bit of a sort of a litigation wrap, wrap up. up. Yeah, yeah, wrap up, yeah. I was just checking back through the year like like it's it's really strange, isn't it, that we're talking about the end of another year. I don't, but anyway, I can't believe it. My father says the older you get, the faster it goes. Absolutely. But isn't that true? It yeah, certainly well, is. He's 93, oh, so he should know. <laughs> um, <clears throat> there have been a couple of what I would call, from a legal point of view, quite interesting cases during the course of the year or developments during the year. I mean, I suppose the one that probably topped the bill uh, in terms of from a PR publicity perspective was the... Um, cervical check case mm, mm. and you know from a from a general public point of view obviously it captured the imagination of the general public in in the context of what can go wrong you know in the whole area of uh, you know medical care from a legal perspective there was a high court judgment that went to i think about 90 pages that dealt with the legal aspects of it which were quite interesting and interesting it was a fascinating development insofar as normally when you have a high court action and it runs for however many days and it goes, then you've got a long, long detailed judgment. It then, you know, quite commonly will get appealed. And when it goes to appeal, then the the whole thing comes back into the fray again insofar as an appeal from a lower court. So if you have an appeal from the circuit court to the high court, you will get a fresh hearing or a full rehearing of the case. So if you have a case in the high court that goes to the Supreme Court uh, or the Court of Appeal, you'll often get a rehearing as in a re-look at the whole case. Mm. And so you've, there's no guarantees on an appeal that you'll win. And there's no guarantee that you'll have the same outcome, if you know what I mean. So in other words, if you lose, you could win. If you win, you could lose. But in this particular case, because of the high level of intervention from, if you want to say, a political perspective, the, the state intervened through the government and effectively guaranteed the outcome of on appeal, even though... Uh, from a financial point of view. So, in other words, the the person taking the case uh, uh, was effectively guaranteed that no matter what happened on appeal, that the outcome would be the same from, from their mm. perspective, if you know what I mean. Now, Which, how unusual is that, John? Uh, I have never seen right, it happen. No precedent before. for that, No, really. no okay. precedent for that before, yeah. at all. So, that I mean, if you think about it, it would be really extraordinary that you could have that kind of situation happening insofar as like the whole idea of a rehearing uh, or a re-look at something is to determine whether or not the judge in the first place got it right or not from either a factual point of view in terms of the inferences he drew from the facts or from a legal perspective whether he got it right from a legal point of view and I mean the very when I say interesting I use that term in the context as a lawyer when you're looking at it but I mean the whole cervical check debacle from a personal point of view was extraordinary but and obviously from a political perspective it had to be tried to be dealt with and dealt with correctly as it was so I'm not questioning that but from a legal point of view the whole 
logic or reasoning of the High Court judge was very interesting to read because it was based on a test that he applied, a legal test that he applied, and he applied this legal test. And the real issue is whether or not he applied the right test or not. So if he applied the right test, the court that was hearing it by way of appeal would say, yeah, okay, that was the right test to apply. But if the court of appeal or the court hearing the appeal decided otherwise, well, then you could find that you'd have a completely different result. And it kind of throws the whole cervical check litigation up into kind of a question mark because obviously for that particular case the it got a state guarantee but that guarantee doesn't apply across the board. So no, because some women are still in, in litigation. Exactly, yeah. and there is quite a considerable, I mean we're involved in a number of uh, cases that are still in the pipeline if you know what I mean. So from a pipeline perspective, so from a purely legal viewpoint there's great uncertainty as to what the outcome is likely to be in terms of an end result Mm. and we as lawyers obviously are going to be awaiting the outcome of that from the Supreme Court because again you had the situation where they frog leaped the Court of Appeal and went straight to the highest court in the land which is the Supreme Court. So that's a very that was a very interesting from a legal perspective development during the course of the year Mm. and we had a very we had another quite recent And and sorry before you move from that just a a quick question here because Mm. it always intrigues me Mm. is it not time here that we put into structures some sort of class action Yes. That, that, that a solicitor like yourself would be mm. able to represent the group as yes. opposed to individual. Yes. Isn't it time for that? It is time and, and interestingly enough the Dupuy litigation which you know we've been very heavily involved These are the hips. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> Can I say dodgy but you know what I mean? Yes. The defective hips. Yes. Yeah. I mean and those cases are were very prevalent you know from 2010 to date and even now people are getting revisions on them but like that litigation funnily enough found its way into a class type action scenario insofar as the high court judge who was dealing with it said wait a minute here now there are so many cases here there are maybe there were about three or four, maybe four or five firms, including ourselves, that were heavily involved in it. So to a certain extent, we had a class of plaintiffs, we had a group of plaintiffs. So what the judge did in that case, and again, that was last year's, if you like, innovation within the legal system. What he did was, he said, well, hold up a second here now, from an efficiency point of view and from a practical point of view, what I think you should do is to agree between yourselves to an ADR, which is an, an alternative dispute resolution mechanism. And I'm going to tell you how you're going to do it. I'm going to nominate five judges and we're going to set up this system whereby the judges, well, they weren't judges, they were adjudicators, but the adjudicators would look at each individual case and make an assessment. So to a certain extent, it was an attempt because Mm. a class action, for example, which is prevalent in Australia and prevalent in the States, a class action, for example, will get a nominated judge who will, if you like, kind of hear one kind of uh, sample case and then will make a determination across the board for Mm. all of the people who are involved in that. I mean, it happened with the thalidomide cases, if you remember. And I mean, the thalidomide, I I remember the very first time, it was a very 
young uh, green lawyer. I remember a client coming into me with a letter from a firm of solicitors in New York. I thought it was something now. Today you might think it was some sort of a swizz with all the stuff that goes on. But it was a letter saying you have been affected by this drug and we've done this deal in the States and the, can you please fill in the following questionnaire and when you do fill that in then we'll tell you what you're going to get by way of damages. So yes, it is probably time that that's looked mm. at as well. I mean, the, And the, if it was here, John, would that be suitable for cervical or is it too individualistic and too complex? No, I think it would be very suitable for those, that kind of litigation. Yes. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Because obviously, when you're dealing with that kind of litigation, it's, it's easy to... Well, easy is the wrong word, but you know what I mean. It's not that difficult to take a sample action on something like that and make a kind of set of gui- guidelines in terms of whether or not liability, uh, you know, whether there is or is not liability and then roll it down and say levels of compensation. It's all part and parcel possibly looking at the whole area of litigation in Ireland and right. seeing can we do something. So I, I interrupted you. You were going to yeah, say well, so well, there, was, there was other... Well, the other one that kind of broke the news very recently is the narcolepsy case. Now, you, you remember that yeah. that came from the, the state introducing, we were dealing with the well, potential catastrophic effect of flu in Ireland, and there was an epidemic, and we were pandemic, I think, and the state brought this drug in and distributed the drug and just to a certain extent, if you like, put a kind of a, an indemnity, indemnified the drug company and said, look, listen, we need this, we need it in a hurry, brought it into the system. Of course, not realising, although the argument is that they did realise and did know, that there were adverse effects for children which would lead to narcolepsy, which is a very serious, debilitating uh, scenario where, you know, they, they can fall asleep at will. They can, there's all sorts of side effects to it. And that case found its way into the High Court. And again, it found its way into the High Court. And I think after however many days, 20 days, 30 days of a hearing, it suddenly stopped. And when I say it suddenly stopped, it stopped in that it went into mediation. So having gone into mediation, it went into mediation, came out of mediation. And the only thing that you know, uh, well, as one knows and as we you know, we understand the whole mediation process is, is confidential, private, so you don't know what's going on, you don't know what the arguments are, you don't know why it's settled or, or often for what it was settled for, etc. So that piece of litigation, which again is something that as a lawyer you'd be looking at, because again we were involved in a number of those cases, we were waiting to see what the outcome mm. of that case was. Now we don't have the outcome, so in terms of a development within the system, again that's one that's going to have to be, mm. we're going to have to wait. But, the, but that was very peculiar, John, because it was very aggressive litigation for a long time and then the mediation took place yes but you see mediation now I mean that was one of it the should, dev- should it not be the other way around that if mediation failed well then you kick in the well you see quite often what happens and you see mediation is still very much of a new kid on the block uh, now it actually isn't he's a very old kid on the block he's been around for a long long time but it's a new kid on the block insofar as you now have to acknowledge the fact that mediation should be the first 
option rather than the last option, if you know what I mean, because they introduced the Mediation Act. Right. And the Mediation Act now makes it obligatory, as you were suggesting there with the question, it makes it obligatory to go into mediation. And if you don't, and you're invited to go in and you don't go in, there are consequences vis-a-vis costs. So now it is much more, the kid is not so much on the corner anymore, very much centre stage in terms of mediation being important. So I think I don't know, but I would imagine what happened here was this was running for a number of days. There must have been a number of attempts to try and mediate it. There must have been a number of suggestions to mediate it. And eventually it got to the point where uh, the agreement was reached that mm. they went off and mediated it. You see, because it, like it's quite often, it's, litigation is a, is a fascinating piece of theatre sometimes to watch. Not particularly when you're involved mm-hmm. in it and you're you're one of the the actors in it, but um, it is a, it is an always very interesting because I mean I've when in the early days you know when you were involved in litigation and you're in a case and you're before you go into court and you're trying to settle it and Joe Bloggs offers this and you turn that down then you talk to the client will we take whatever and you're kind of working out the parameters of what you'd accept by way of compensation you've assessed what you think the case is worth and you know there's a certain amount you know what we always talk about you know on the steps of the court and a bit of you know I'll and you know quite often in the case you might be sitting ready to go on you have your papers in front to you and suddenly across the table comes a piece of paper going okay alright I'll, I'll give you what you were looking for kind of thing so they were kind of trying to bring you to the steps of the court kind of thing you know and there's quite a, there's always been that's been mm, mm. part and parcel of the whole process but in the case when a case goes on cases can hit different levels so you might be putting your case first and things are really going very well your cross examination works etc etc so it's very difficult to assess in any particular situation, but now you have mediation in the process. So there may have come a point during the course of the thing where eventually one of the sides who may not have been as, if you like, open to mediation might have suddenly said, well, OK, I think now's the time to do right. it. And it may have been done on that basis. But from a legal point of view, in terms of the development, you see, it didn't and doesn't address the legal issues involved in whether or not there is or is not liability and whether or not you can establish a case. Because, you see, the narcolepsy cases are really interesting from a legal perspective because, you see, it's always been difficult in Irish law to establish a case where you're dealing with what we call economic loss, Mm. you know, financial loss as a result of something that a state authority does. Now, I mean, it comes back to there was a case, Glencar Explorations, which involved a local planning authority deciding to put a ban on mining in County Mayo. And by virtue of the fact that they refused to do the mining, or by virtue of the ban, a mining company lost a considerable amount of money and also a major investor. So the big question, and when they put in the ban, 
and I'm digressing here, but it's it's mm. to do with the liability of the state and the whole interesting elements to the whole narcolepsy case is whether or not and to what extent was the state in this particular instance liable mm. for the fact that they brought this vaccine into the country? Because I was listening when I was coming down stuck in traffic. I was listening to one of your, your listeners talking to you, talking about the whole thing about the balance of public interest versus. Mm. So you've always got that balance that you're dealing with in the legal system. You know, how do you balance the rights of Joe Bloggs to the state, to everybody's right, if you know what I mean? And I think he made the point about planning and you were suggesting to have planning why don't we just build these houses mm. and the answer to that question is that you know on a on a one-to-one basis you're trying to look after the individual and house them and on the other basis you're trying to put some sort of controls in there mm. in the overall general public interest so if you're looking at the whole narcolepsy scenario the question that that we have as lawyers is can we attribute liability to the estate in a scenario like that where they're acting, if you like, in the general public interest? In the general good. Exactly. So the the legal nub of the question is to what extent Mm. can you attribute liability? And and, and because that result came out of mediation then, it it hasn't been challenged. Exactly. We don't know, you see. because, Because it has dealt with in mediation. And I mean, the other element of it, by the way, is the whole element of consent, which is something I've often kind of mentioned when we're talking about mm. the whole area of medical negligence. I was talking to you about the fact when I was sitting on the trolley, well, I don't know, I don't expect you to remember, but when I was sitting on the trolley and the fellow gave me the sheet signed by way of consent to the well, operation, yeah. and I'm saying to myself, what kind of consent was that if I didn't get an explanation and I'm just about to be wheeled in? So to a certain extent, you have that whole issue as well when you're dealing with narcolepsy, the whole issue of mm. consenting, if you like, to taking the All drug. Right. Stay with me, uh, John, because I must uh, take a break. We're back with uh, John Lynch in just a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. I suppose the other thing that you spoke to us uh, during the year about uh, one of the developments, John, would be the statute of limitations. That, that, that was very big, wasn't it? Well, there was a Supreme Court, there were two Supreme Court judgments on it. There was a Supreme Court judgment on the whole medical negligence area of statute of limitations because, you see, they introduced the there was a lot of confusion around about, you know, when do you know or when ought you to have known? Because normally if you're in a road traffic accident, you have two years, if you have personal injury, you have two years from the date of the accident to make the case. So there was always the complication that if you were involved in the area of medical negligence or medical treatment, you know, when when does the clock start? You know, mm. when are you supposed to kind of go and do something about it? And the problem always was, and it was in the High Court, several cases in the High Court, went to the Court of Appeal and eventually st- went to the Supreme Court. And the question was being asked, you know, it was poor old devil in Cork, actually, who... The irony of the case was, and this is probably the third case, if you like, with a kind of a twist in it, because the irony of the case was that this was what we call a preliminary point of law that was raised by the lawyers in at the case. So what they said to the court was, we think we have a case of medical negligence here, but 
we don't know whether we have taken it in time. So we want you to decide whether we took it in time or not first. So six years later, possibly even more, the Supreme Court gets its hands on the judgment or on the, the case and makes a decision. But the decision the Supreme Court made was, yes, you are in time. But it didn't make the decision and wasn't being asked to make the decision as to whether or not the person had a case or not, mm. which was ironical because there was a subsequent case actually involving a casual uh, client, plaintiff who took a case that subsequently was dealt with within a couple of months later and the court followed what it had done in, in the first case and said that they were in time again. But basically the gist of that particular case was it clarified the whole mechanism of how do you kind of arrive at a decision as to whether or not somebody has or has not or mm. has acted in time, if you know what I mean, in order to take a case. And it isn't obviously strictly two, two years from the date of whatever the incident is. And it clarified it by applying a test because the whole conundrum that the court was trying to deal with when it was trying to deal with this whole area of know, ought to know, when did I know, when could I have known, was that under the section that that introduced this test, it put in this thing that said, well, it's not about knowing whether you have a legal action or not. It's not about knowing whether you have what they what we call a cause of action. It's not a, so... I would respectfully suggest that the High Court over the last number of years was falling over that particular block every time they went to look at it. So the Supreme Court kind of came back and applied a much more logical test and said, look, listen, it's a question of knowing the facts that make up the case. And if you know enough of those facts that you could have made a case in law, well, under those circumstances, then you are out of time mm. if you left it too late. So to a certain extent, it simplified it. Now, time will tell as to how simplified it, it is or it has been, but it certainly has made it a, a little bit easier to come to a decision as to whether or not you're in time. The other kind of flip side of that, by the way, was that it has always been the case we are taking a medical negligence action that the courts have always taken the view that you can't go about suing a professional unless you've got a, a, an opinion to back it up. So you can't just go and write to your your medical practitioner and say, I think you're negligent. You must back it. And that causes a little bit of difficulty from the timing perspective because you see the question then that arises is so do you have until you get that medical report to decide whether or not you're going to take a case or not and that's what the court Mm. was grappling with but if i approach you within the two years i just approach you yes yes, yes is that not enough to trigger no, because that puts me in the position of knowledge, if you know what I mean. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, am I to know whether you have a case or not, if you know what I mean? Do I make that decision? But that's a very interesting point because I had actually a case that went to the went to the High Court and I think, did we go to the Court of Appeal? No, I think we settled it in the Supreme Court. And on that very point, you know, if you go to a lawyer, is that enough? Does that mean... Mm. That Does that trigger the... No, yeah. but you see... N- Starting the inquiry is not the same as arriving at the point where you know you have a case. Because if you come in to me and say, 
John, I think I'm not happy about this. There's something that I'd like you to go and investigate. That doesn't start the clock necessarily, really. Uh. Because after all, you may not you may not have enough right. information there. So what does start the clock ticking then? By and large, what starts the clock ticking, the easiest answer to that is, that what starts the clock ticking is when you get a medical report that says you have a case. Now, it's not as simple as that, but, you know, right. that definitely will start the clock And then you, you put the case into action then. Correct. That? Right. But the other thing, of course, is that if you delay for a long, long time and don't get your medical board. You can't use that as an excuse for waiting for as long as... That was you, going to be my next question. Exactly. Right, okay. Because if you, if you take, for example, what were the very well-known cases um, involving the surgeon. Do you remember the surgeon that removed, did all the hysterectomies? I do, in Neary. Jota, yeah. Do you remember yeah. Mr. Neary or Dr. Neary? In his case, for example, there were two cases, one in the High Court and the other, both of them in the High Court, both of them appealed. One was successful and one wasn't. Because in one case, the judges decided that the principal is knew or ought to have known that you had a case. So knew or ought to have known. In one case, the court decided that the person concerned ought to have known mm. because there was enough information out in the public domain or they had enough access to information that they ought to have known because and they ought to have known enough to initiate mm. and start the clock because you see starting the clock just means you've got two years from when you ought to have known you still have two years if you know what I mean right. it's not that you've but run the a- confusing thing there is that people might think that okay if I go to John on the day before the two years are up I'm grand then I've it, I've it sorted but if, if you go to John two years or sorry if you go to John a day before the two years is up John would have to issue a protective writ almost immediately to make sure that the clock doesn't run out Ah, but you can do that. Well, you can. And that's what, and funnily enough, there was a case in in the High Court where, and again, it's always fascinating, there was a side comment by a judge to the effect, if you have any doubt at all, just issue the paperwork and don't be hanging around waiting to make the argument whether you knew or ought to have known. Because obviously the answer to all of this is that the minute you even suspect you go and issue what we call a protectorate, which brings me back around to the point we were talking about, i.e. that you can't issue, if you like, the full writ until you have the supporting evidence. But you can issue what we call a protectorate, which is kind of a kind of putting one in that says... I think I have a case and this is what I think I have the case on but you're not able to establish it. But that's enough to buy you more time. That's enough and funny, uh, interestingly enough, that brings in another case that was dealt with during the course of the year which was the question, the question is how, you see, you can issue a protected writ and I don't want to get too technical but you can issue it and then it sits there it doesn't get served, nothing happens, it just sits there, right? But it doesn't sit there and cannot sit there indefinitely. You must renew the writ. So you must go back into court and renew the writ. Okay. And you can get a renewal of the writ, but you must justify it. And you must so and you can justify it on the basis that you're looking to get medical. And there was a there was a very interesting case on that, but that's for another that's day. That's for another day. Right. I love the cliffhangers every <laughs> single week. All right, John, it's always a pleasure. Thanks very well much done. indeed.